The Guardian. Don't you Brits feel like celebrating those 14 days of sporting glory? Of course you do. So why not do it with a strictly unofficial but suitably stylish philosophy football design t-shirt? This unique t-shirt is a wearable, chronological, and color-coded record of an unforgettable fortnight. And for Guardian and Observer podcast fans, we have a special offer of three pounds off and free post and packaging. Curious? Well, to see how good this unique t-shirt looks and to take advantage of our listeners' offer, just go to guardian.co.uk slash podcast offers. I dare you. Hello and welcome to the first of three specials from the 2012 Edinburgh Television Festival. My name is John Plunkett and I'm at King's Cross Station about to board the train to Edinburgh. Over the next three days we'll be talking shop with special guests and some familiar voices. There'll be gossip from the bars, previews of the autumn scheduled for all the major channels and, of course, we'll bring you reaction to the McTaggart Lecture, which this year is hosted by Elizabeth Murdoch the third woman to host in 37 years, and also the third Murdoch during that time. Right, I've got my tickets, my packed lunch is in my bag. For some people, this is the 11 o'clock train to Edinburgh Waverley, but not us. It's the Media Express. Stay with us. Hello and welcome to the first of our daily podcasts from the Media Guardian Edinburgh International Television Festival. Well, that's all we have time for. No, 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 of course not. We're here in the Edinburgh International Conference Centre, which will be our home for the three days of the festival. Sharing this over with me is Mr Dan Sabber, the Guardian's Head of Media and Tech, Media Guardian's Maggie Brown, Media Talk regular, of course. And I'm glad to say we're joined by a Mr Andy Harris, who's Chief Executive of Left Bank Pictures, and whose credits are, frankly, as long as this podcast, including Royal Family, Cold Feet, Wallander, The Queen. Well, let's not go on. Chaps, how do we describe the festival for non-TV types? Dan? I suppose it's the Olympic Games for television, isn't it? It's a sort of annual orgy. Is that the right word of entertainment? Entertainment and opinion. Uh, 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 there's sort of plenty of sort of late night conversation about delegate sessions uh, that have gone on before, and it all hangs off the back of the McTaggart address, which we get tonight from Liz Murdoch, which is the, the sort of centerpiece of the festival. It's meant to be a controversial oration by a leader in the industry and it is meant to sort of set the tone and set the agenda for the festival and in some years it's worked brilliantly uh, when James Murdoch for example spoke three years ago absolutely sort of set the tone and agenda for the sort of festival indeed for the industry for a time uh, uh, even if it was a highly controversial address and in other years frankly you've sort of wondered what on earth the point of the McTaggart is and the result of that is the whole festival's been a bit flat. Uh, Andy are you looking forward to an orgy? That was very eloquent wasn't it? Yeah, it's an orgy. Yes, it's not a car boot sale of gossip, is what I would describe it as myself. <laughs> and, and, and pitches, people pitching desperately. It's, a, it's seen as the last chance to grab a, grab a commissioner you know, in the bar, late night in the George. Is that still true in sort of the Twitter age? Has that changed a bit Actually, in the sense I, where... I suspect, I suspect it has changed. I remember in the very early years of the festival, there used to be champagne bars and things like that. Do you remember? I, don't I know do. You... I used to come. Yeah, yeah and I, I, think all, I think all of that has changed a lot. It's a lot more... Prof- I, well, what I think is really interesting is that actually it's completely targeted by independent producers now. Uh, this was, in a way, the, the place where independents first made their pitch to actually have big shares of production from the broadcasters and this was firmly resisted and then of course the the resistance collapsed at the end of the 80s but now what strikes me is that often when you look at sessions it's the ones where 
people think they will learn something about how to get a program away with a, with a broadcaster. Those are the sessions which are absolutely jam-packed. And the big kind of prestigious things very often are sort of cold-shouldered because people literally are after a deal. Because this is an industry where if you have one hit, you've, you've, made, you've made a lot of money. Dan, you've touched on it already, the McTaggart. All the talk so far has been about what Liz Murdoch might say. What can she say? Uh, you've described um, in your preview as uh, you described as the anti-Murdoch Murdoch and suggested she might make some sort of declaration of independence. What, what are you expecting? Well, that's some of the sort of very early spin. I must admit, it'll be, uh, let's see if the speech lives up to that. But, but clearly, uh, as she makes this speech, yes, Liz Murdoch's run Shine, you know, producer of Merlin, MasterChef, pretty successfully for the last 10 or so years, but it's only just been acquired, unfortunately, perhaps from her point of view, acquired by the mothership of Father's News Corp, just as the phone hacking crisis escalates. She didn't agree with the handling of that. She's out of sorts with the family on the sort of phone hacking issue. So whatever she wants her speech to be about, and I'm sure it'll be about, in, in, in broad terms, about the TV industry broadly and her contribution within the contribution of independent production, the principal prison will judge it in is what she says about phone hacking and the family and, and, and the future direction of news corporation. She won't need to say a lot. She could be quite oblique in her phraseology, but my, my, that's what we're going to focus on and that's what we'll sort of put a lot of energy into. And that might be, from her, by turn, from her point of view, a little frustrating. You know, there's a lot of, she's got a lot of interesting things to say about television industry too, but I think we'll just, in news terms, we'll hear less about that over the next 48 hours. Well, earlier I spoke to Kenson Allen, chair of the festival, about the lineup and what advice he had for those joining us here in Edinburgh. For first timers, my want it would be make sure you say hello to people. We've changed the delegate badges this year, so they'd say your name and the company you work for. They used to say your name and what you did, which I always thought was useless. That is absolute carte blanche to go up and say hello. Hello, my name is X. I'm from Y. I like the shows you make. Can I send you my CV? I think that's what the festival's about, I'm afraid. And if people don't like that, they shouldn't come. The ones I'm most excited about would be Richard Curtis, one of the great British film and television writers of all time, in conversation with Steve Levitan, the creator of Modern Family, the biggest scripted comedy in the world, a show that regularly beats X Factor on, on American network television. And then I suppose, you know, Michael Apted's turning up, another brilliant creative mind with an enormous track record behind him. I, 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 Ruth Jones in conversation, Charlie Brooker in conversation, Stephen Moffat on his Sherlock masterclass with all the gang from Sherlock and Mark Gatiss and every there. And I think finally, the notion, we, we struggled, when I say struggled, we thought hard about how to open the, open the festival because it seemed like every variation on reality television had been done. We'd done dancing, we'd done singing, we'd done Top Gear, most things had been done. So in a desire to reflect more of a kind of multi-channel world that we now live in, and a desire to get Keith Lemon to the festival, we're opening with Celebrity Juice, which I think will be... Um, unique. Kenton Allen, who's chairing this year's festival, he wanted to sort of bring it back to a more of a, a, a creative aspect and represent independent producers, which is of course where you come from. I think, uh, I think the, you know, the indie, the indie Maggie has mentioned that how the indies have used Edinburgh over the years and how it's become much more centred around indies, but then I think the whole, in, the whole business has. I mean, I think the growth of the creative industries is largely due to the release, if you like, of, 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 of people out of broadcasters into small companies and the growth of the, of, of the business. It, it's, 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 I mean, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating change, actually, I, I think. And, and, and um, I think it's a really, really interesting idea to have Liz 
do the speech. And not only do I think it's interesting, I think it's quite, I don't think it's brave of her, but I think it's a very interesting decision for her and to do it. She doesn't like speaking in she public. Doesn't like she speaking has in public. done a speech here before, about 10 years ago, which was, I think, quite an uncomfortable experience for her. Is it the Worldview? Yes, yeah, but she did, yeah. the, the thing really, I, I'm so pleased actually that she is doing it because we've had 36 years of the Edinburgh Television Festival. This is only the fourth woman to give um, the McTaggart Lecture. The last one was in 1996, Janet Street Porter. And when you think of the contribution, people of both sexes have done, made to the television industry, but women have been running channels, they've been doing all sorts of things, setting up independent production companies. I've been so surprised that... It's an incredibly female-dominated business. I, my, I, I just think it's been very... Uh, I, I don't really understand why such a blind eye was turned to, to this issue. And I'm, I'm so pleased that finally, you could say the spell has been broken. And it's good to hear, I think the noise in the background is the YouTube smoothie maker, which, which <laughs> listeners, listeners might not be picking up, but uh, we look forward to one of those later, which is frankly the least, the are least they, they can do. Are they free? Uh, well, I'm not sure well, they are now. You certainly wouldn't have had a YouTube smoothie maker ten years no, ago, that's yeah. for sure. And you see, this is the other thing. This year is also the 30th anniversary of Channel 4. And for people who've been coming, I've been coming since 1986, one of the key things about uh, the, the Edinburgh Television Festival, it was the crucible really in which much of the debate about setting up Channel 4 uh, took place and in fact one of the sessions today which I'm looking forward to uh, is Michael Jackson Sounds who was the third, one, third uh, chief executive of Channel 4 uh, in conversation with David Abraham, the current chief executive and in those two figures you see the two poles really of Channel 4, you see Michael Jackson as really probably the most uh, creative after Jeremy Isaacs uh, of the chief executives really just interested in the programming and you have David Abraham who of course has to be absolutely commercially focused to bring in the cash so it, it's it's a very it's going to be a very interesting set piece in my opinion yeah I'm looking forward to that I think that's a really interesting session in fact I think the, it's a very very good program it's an exciting program it's full of well, some really good things. I well, think, I actually. always feel annoyed because I look at it and I think, oh, I wish there was four of me and I could go to, you know, <laughs> sometimes there's these terrible clashes. And, uh, well, I maybe mean in a few years, Maggie, if, <laughs> if science progresses that far. <laughs> well, we never uh, know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you've do you mentioned think the world is ready for four of me? <laughs> <laughs> Andy, what do you think the emerging themes might be? Previous years we've had James Murdoch attacking the BBC, then we had the BBC defending itself against Sky. Last year was, uh, well, it was kicked off by Eric Schmidt, but uh, didn't particularly go very far that one. Is, is this year about the BBC and, and, and what it does next? But then they're not really represented here because we're in sort of a, a changeover period. So there's no Lord Patton, there's no George Emerson, there's no Mark Thompson. Oh, well, I think, I, I think the BBC, it's sort of interesting, isn't it? Because the, the Olympics have been such a success for the BBC. Everyone has, has, has been reminded how great the BBC can be and what a fantastic uh, role it, it plays in our lives when, it's, when it uh, has possession of, of, a, of a national event like that. But uh, I think the, uh, the, the interview today that uh, Mark Thompson has given uh, is going to keep the BBC at the, uh, uh, at the forefront of the agenda this, this weekend. I, I feel sure about that. This I think is a piece to broadcast magazine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, this is the piece that basically Mark Thompson is saying that Edinburgh has really got his work cut out to try and uh, in this job because the cuts are going to the point of nearly um, taking the BBC beyond the point that perhaps is acceptable to, be, to people in some areas. That's, that's the gist of what he's saying. Absolutely. And of course, I mean, they have to take out the £700 million now, plus they have to fund all these other things. So, yes, it, it's going to be very tight. On the other hand, Entwistle does have the, the benefit now of, of knowing what the delivering quality first agenda is and 
the BBC does have a chance to perhaps, I mean this is really a warm-up isn't it, to the renegotiation of the Charter in 2016 and what they can hope to get out of an, a new maybe five, ten year agreement uh, with the government. I, I would be surprised though if the BBC can actually claw back the money that it's actually it's lost in, 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 in the current five year settlement. I think they're going to have to have further uh, quite tough choices. Well, isn't it? That, I mean, that's the interesting thing. I mean, that's obviously going. I think that may well come up in Lisbon. I mean, I, 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 I thought the settlement in 2010 was a terrible one for the BBC. Thompson was forced into it. He's tried to present it as actually quite a coup, but now he's leaving. You talked earlier about seeing the whites of people's eyes, Dan. But um, I mean, now he's 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 leaving with actually perhaps a more cold uh, and, and truthful view of what the BBC faces. But it's still a five billion pound broadcaster. I think you're sort of suggesting that Liz Murdoch might talk about the BBC should get out of independent, uh, get out of independent, its own production, uh, which are, for me strikes me as. It's, I mean, if she does say that, that would really surprise me, and I think is a uh, a real shot across the bows of the bee. But it may well come up. I mean, it may well come up as an issue. Uh, uh, for me, I think having a production part, production aspect of the BBC is absolutely the core of what the BBC I does. And you. Yes. Uh, you know, Andy, you're the world expert on this, but again, instinctively, a, tra a training ground. For, yes, yeah. exactly. She's going to look so self-interested. And the problem is the independent sector doesn't train people properly. Well, that's absolutely bollocks. That's complete they don't. garbage. You don't. Maggie, we you don't do, have we, uh, proper we schemes. Well, a lot I'm of people not sure don't contribute to skill I'm not actually sure set. the BBC has to. As, as, as well, at least it has an academy, and it's now got a new apprenticeship All of that is the major issue if you're going to switch resources. It's an issue. I'm not saying it's a major well, I mean, issue. There's a perfectly good film school down the road you can put some money into and redirect people down there. I mean, there are many, many ways of training people in this business, and the BBC does not have, and has not had for many, many, many years, any real monopoly on this at all. Uh, sure, I mean, of course it shouldn't have a monopoly, but it makes a big contribution. And the I independent the sector, we all I know don't, that I don't the, think that's the true, working actually. practices are not ideal in a great many of these small companies, and you can't, you know, whitewash that. I, well, that's a, well, you're throwing lots of issues in here. I think on the issue, all I would say about the issue of, of, of in-house production of the BBC. It's the in-house production of the BBC, like in-house production of ITV, was born of a different era when there were simply two broadcasters and no independents. So naturally, broadcasters had production companies attached as part of them. In this day and age, when the BBC is short of money, has got to decide where, how and when it spends its money, is it wise to have an in-house production uh, team which can only work for the BBC? It's uncompetitive. It's clearly, uh, uh, I suggest, overstaffed in buildings that they can't really afford. Why would you have an entertainment division, for example, inside the BBC, when you no longer have the studios? You just sold the studios, and there are perfectly good entertainment companies outside. It's, it's just a bit mad. It's just born of a different era. It's, it's, surely there is a case here to look at the BBC and say, OK, we actually don't need to employ all these people. We don't need these buildings. All of this is a massive saving, and we simply have a very good commissioning team which takes the best commissioning shows for the BBC on a Saturday night or whatever it is. Well, that's the point of view, but I totally disagree with you. Well, that's, that's why we love this industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, uh, if Liz Murdoch's listening, perhaps she'll, perhaps she'll rewrite part of a McTaggart to, to incorporate some of those, uh, some of those viewpoints. Yeah. Last word must go to, uh, to Andy. Andy, uh, Liz Murdoch Shine is a production company that was bought up by a multinational corporation, which brings me, to, <laughs> brings me neatly to, to your, your news today. <laughs> Yes, I, I have. I, I, yes, the left bank has been sold to Sony, is what John is referring to, um, in a deal that's taken a few months. Um, we're very excited by it. Um, I know the drinks are going to be on me for the next two days. And uh, you heard it here. <laughs> what have you sold it for, Andy? I can't. I can't discuss the monies. 
I think it says 40 million in broadcast or a 40 million pound deal. But Andy, isn't this a sort of interesting moment? Because talent like you, you come out of the sort of the British production system um, that you've done very well and made a lot of money and fair play to you. But now what's happening is the big, big Hollywood corporation, Sony's not American of course, but it's certainly you know, Hollywood orientation. They're the folks now buying up our production talent and whether it's sort of, I don't know, Liz Murdoch going to News Corp or Shed going to Warner Brothers or Carnival going to NBC, the, 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 the list goes on. That's been the traffic of the last two or three years and now uh, it's the Americans or Hollywood have got control of our production business. That is true and I think that's very sad and I think that's why I would have argued that possibly BBC Worldwide could have become a much bigger media player. They set the trend with buying us initially or buying into us initially t- uh, five years ago. Uh, they bought they bought into ten production companies. Two or three have done extremely so well. You made them a lot of money. Have I have you? made them a lot of money, which you made I'm pleased. Made yourself played. a lot of money. Uh, I, I, I have made some money, Maggie. But it's, you know, I'm not yes, in it for the money. We're in it for the making programs. That's what I do, and that's it's it's a byproduct. So you're saying you couldn't have really set the company up without BBC Worldwide. Uh, at the time I was leaving ITV, I had a number of offers. The BBC Worldwide was by far the best. It was the most creative. It was the most interesting. And ITV had turned me down. So at a, at a time, having been a very successful executive at ITV. For ten years, they so were not interested the in backing Michael Grade era or under the Charles before, Allen. Yeah, it was Charles Allen. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank and you. That note, we leave it there. Thank you very much. I'm Torin Douglas. I'm uh, the media correspondent for BBC News, and obviously we're all looking ahead to um, Elizabeth Murdoch. Uh, we've had Rupert Murdoch. We've had James Murdoch. They both strongly criticised the BBC. We wait to see whether she will do that. Her production company does lots of programs for the BBC, so she might not be so inclined to do so. But we also want to know what she will say about the Murdochs themselves, the whole phone hacking issue. She has been very much detached from that. So there is an expectation that she might want to reinforce that detachment. But of course, she's not going to slag off her own family, is she? So we'll wait to see what happens there. I'm Ian Burrell, media editor at The Independent. I think the biggest challenge, I think, is integrating this sort of dual screening uh, experience, which is the way people watch TV now, making TV and mass audience television, you know, the most attractive thing to audiences. That's the biggest thing for the commercial sector anyway. So I'm Neil Midgley. I write about media for the Daily Telegraph and others. I think one of the interesting things to look out for at this Edinburgh TV Festival is going to be the jockeying for position for the now vacant job of BBC Director of Vision, that's television, to you and me. George Entwistle, the previous incumbent, has obviously now gone off to be Director General. Uh, And there are a number of people who I think are going to be up here, not least Danny Cohen, the controller of BBC One, and Roger Mosey, who's just bathed in glory from having had such a successful Olympics that he was running. He's now acting director of Vision. They are two of the big hitters who are going for that job. And it'll be interesting to see how they position themselves over the next few days here in Edinburgh. Well, Andy has left us. He's gone to the bank to make sure that cheque from Sony has cleared. But I am joined by Vicky Frost, The Guardian's TV editor. We move away now from all things small screen, temporarily at least, to look at the Prince Harry story which has dominated the newspapers today, except none of them have actually published a picture of the naked prince. So, Dan, what have you made of the way UK newspapers have covered the Prince Harry story? Well, none of them have decided to sort of take the risk and publish what one might describe inelegantly uh, as a full frontal picture of, of, of the prince or indeed any picture of the prince. It, there it is on TMZ, it's been circulating on the internet since I think 
uh, 5 a.m. yesterday, and yet uh, uh, what with the sort of talk about the palace asking the PCC to go ask newspapers to sort of go easy that the prince had a reasonable expectation of privacy, uh, uh, no one sort of no one, nobody's followed suit, and everyone's. Offer, uh, opted varying degrees of decorum. I think you've got they, the sun in your hand. In different ways, yes, the sun has, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the sun's tackled it by getting another reporter, called, one of its reporters called Harry, to pretty much mock up in the in, in the post. And they've described the picture curiously as banned. I mean, I'm not sure that would be quite the the former words I'd use, but but the papers feel strongly. I think, uh, yeah, in the papers. Sense. I think feel look, this is a sort of a, a Leveson era and, and, and they're very twitchy about it so you can see other papers the Daily, I mean, you know, the Daily Mail uh, for example here one of several, you know, plenty of material on the story, Harry sort of flying in fury over the naked photo but, but this is not actually a crop of the photograph itself, it's a crop of different photos because there's been photos of sort of Harry parting it up in Las Vegas for sort of several days and you know everyone's touching on the story but in a more demure way sorry yeah that does they've sort of cropped it so it looks like it might be the picture haven't they where it's interesting that they've sort of gone that way whereas the sun has sort of played the joke basically which I can't decide whether it's funny or whether it's just really weird well, yes, it's kind of cheating. It's sort having its cake and, and not eating it, really. It's, uh, you, you sort of look at it from afar and think, oh, wow, they've printed the picture. And then you go, oh, no, it's just some guy. And, you know, I, I could do that in the mirror, frankly, just not, not as buff. You know, I, I don't need to buy the sun to see a naked man holding his, uh, holding his billiard balls. You know. it's, not, it's, not old naked, it's not any old naked man, is it? It's a royal well, prince. Right, well, well not, not in this case, yeah, but in the principle. Well, that's I what we're talking about. I'm so sorry for this guy. Were like... you pointing at me? <laughs> no, the man on the front of the sun, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just feel so sorry for him because yeah. it's kind of like, is it, if he's a reporter, it's like his byline forever, isn't it? It's going to be like naked of him. It's appalling. And from the way he's cupping himself, it doesn't look like he's been on a rager. Uh, <laughs> not in the last 20 minutes, anyway. Um, Dan, were you surprised that, uh, did you expect the UK newspapers to go further and actually print this picture or was that never going to happen? It, it feels, in an internet age, it feels entirely uh, ridiculous argument to be having. The mood yesterday was that they weren't going to, that no one was going to, print the pictures nobody was going to jump first I think everyone would be very happy to jump second if someone would be so kind as to sort of take on the palace you know risk the wrath of the palace and publish the pics but it's a really difficult challenge for the so for any newspaper actually because you've got the stories out there on the internet everybody knows about it if you print it you risk sort of you know moral censure perhaps uh, and you also sort of you're telling people a story that the readers already know on the other hand Prince Harry was part, you know, he's a royal prince, uh, you know, he's got his own security, he's funded by the taxpayer. He was, you know, in Las Vegas partying and inviting a load of people he didn't know up to his, uh, up to his bedroom for more fun. And, you know, people have camera phones and people can publish on Twitter and the rest. I mean, obviously there is an issue of invasion of privacy and technically they should not print the pictures under the Press Complaints Commission uh, or Press Council's uh, rules. But at the same time... What I also think is that he obviously needs a Kate Middleton, I mean, to keep him in order and to actually kind of calm him down. I, I, this is not very sensible behaviour. <laughs> I think it's sort of weird from a, from a reader's point of view. It must be very odd. So everyone knows about this story. If you go online, you can go and see those pictures, mm. all of that. And yet the papers are all being very coy about it. And that sort of, I guess, as a reader outside of this discussion, that must be very strange and kind of trying to understand quite why you can see it in some ways and can't in others. It is kind of weird, a weird disconnect, I think. 
Uh, Maggie, the Sun has printed uh, a picture of a, a naked royal before, hasn't it? Uh, many years ago, Sophie Rees-Jones, before she was a royal, the Sun under David Yellen took the controversial, controversial decision to put a picture of her on page three. I remember that, but at the he same time, he went on to greatly regret it. In, he did. Uh, later regret, years. I was going to say that's exactly the point. Third, secondly, also, I mean, Harry is number three to the throne, and he does have a certain public position. I actually feel, to be honest, I feel he's just rather stupid, and uh, that's the long and the short of it. Perhaps it's just as well he has an older brother. Well, back to the festival, and uh, Harry won't be here. <laughs> well, if he is, I want to go to his hotel room. Uh, <laughs> is he at the point? <laughs> Which your brother may be, uh, may be missing the point. But uh, Vicky, let's go back to the small screen, uh, if you will. Uh, what, what are you looking forward to uh, at this year's festival? Plenty well, of, plenty of previews. To yeah, be there had are here. plenty of previews. Um, there's Victoria Wood's new drama for BBC One, uh, which is going to be screened, and and then she's going to give a Q and A all about it as well, which called Miss Hatto, uh, which I'm looking forward to. I'm actually looking forward to hearing from Janice Hadlow this morning, actually, because mm. I think BBC Two is an interesting channel at the moment. I think it's had a very strong year, but now it's going to be facing lots of challenges I think in terms of budgets and daytime and and it's it'll be interesting I think to hear what she has to say about that how it's going to affect its identity and what it does uh, yeah. It'd be interesting to see whether they could ever afford a parade's end again. I mean, yeah. it's a massively expensive and apparently over budget uh, period drama. Here's a Tom Stoppard <coughs> uh, adaptation. adaptation. Starts on Friday. Yeah, okay. And a really classy thing. Uh, re- yeah, really classy, lovely thing with Benedict Cumberbatch. And it's, it's um, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see. It'd be a shame if they couldn't afford anything like it again because it has great ambition, doesn't it? It does, but I think it does also belong slightly to another era. I think the budget was about yeah. £13 million, pounds, and I cannot see how they will justify that kind of spending, or very, very rarely in future. The second thing I think about uh, this, this uh, festival is that there, I, I'm looking forward to the session with the Homeland uh, producers. Yeah. I mean, how drama that has migrated very, very successfully from Israel to America imported to Britain and for me it was one of the highlights so far of this year in terms of interesting drama. It would be interesting to see how much that is a trend of sort of, uh, I know I've seen several pieces sort of suggesting that like Israeli drama, is like, uh, Israeli TV is sort of like a little sort of uh, breeding ground for formats that can then travel so it would be interesting to see how far that's true as well. And about to encounter potentially difficult second series syndrome. Oh, yeah, the ending. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. Mm. Well, we'll see, I guess. He didn't blow himself up, so well, it's I... coming back in October, isn't it? So yes, I know, but it's sort of... Perhaps he doesn't blow himself up at the end of uh, Again, yeah. Seriously? Yeah. 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 No spoilers. Yeah, yeah, that would be annoying, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, Vicky, you mentioned uh, BBC Two, uh, which, uh, because it's a TV channel, is in running for Channel of the Year, which is the uh, annual uh, festival accolade. Yeah. Uh, I shall ask you uh, one by one, who would you give Maggie first up? No pressure. Uh, who would you give your Channel of the Year award to? Actually, I would give it to BBC Two at the moment. Because I've, because I've just been watching a lot of their shows. And um, yeah. I, I, I like the mix. I, 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 I think also, demographically, it's targeted at me. It's older women uh, who like a lot of the history and the, and the drama and all the rest of it. So I, that's, the, that's the channel I've been watching a lot of. Frost, yes, your I award? Yes, I would say that. I would really say that. I think You're younger than me, Vicky. I know, but I am a natural BBC Two viewer, I think, in terms of its mix of sort of quality drama, good factual, particularly its history. You know, Mary Beard is fantastic. She's a great find for the channel. And I just think it's really strong at the moment. And I find myself naturally watching it. And I think I haven't done for quite a while. So, yeah. Well, there's two votes out of three for BBC Two, which rather removes from the excitement of, of, Dan, <laughs> of Dan's vote. If... If this was the X Factor, we'd go straight to the ad break. Well, uh, they they, they, (laughs) should be. Yes, that's true. 
I know they traditionally divide it between terrestrial and digital. So, look, I, but I'm going to go for yes. I'm going to go for Sky Atlantic uh, anyway. And reason being, that's what I that that's what I've been watching. Uh, all year, I like an awful lot of American television. So, you, you know, whether it's I don't know uh, whether, whether it's you know Veep or what have you, it's just that that's what's on my PVR. That's what I've been focused on, and I think that's what I've really enjoyed. So, uh, I, I well, I like the newsroom, uh, but not every but not everybody does. Uh, uh, my partner thinks it's terribly sort of you know clunky, and you can sort of you know you hear the gears change in the sort of oh, when you sit on the yeah, sofa. Yeah. But you know what the heck? I think there's some in there, despite all the sort of you know the relationship with the cast members is not brilliant, when they, but in, in some respects. But they do hit upon a truth every episode. At some point, there's a wonderful speech or just a wonderful sort of uh, tension between the sort of commercial reality of news and the idealism, idealism of news. And I think, yep, yeah, you've really got it. And I love the fact yeah. it's opposite Newsnight. So if you think Newsnight's a bit rubbish, you can go and watch it. That's <laughs> what I do anyway. And we should wrap up other media news uh, very briefly, Dan. Uh, Shane Allen joining uh, BBC. He was the uh, Channel 4's um, head of comedy, going to be their new yeah, comedy commissioner. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the, the defections at Channel 4 continue. They've had an almost sort of, since Jay Hunt arrived, an almost sort of complete refresh, I think, of the sort of genre controls and so forth. And I think, to be honest, that's what Jay's wanted. And, and you know, and Channel 4 certainly needs a refresh in a post-Big Brother era. Mm. So it's still... Look, they're going to have a good week with the Paralympics, but they're still struggling to define themselves otherwise. So Shane's gone off to the BBC. It's a great job, that Channel 4 job. I don't know who they'll get to do it, but, but you know, that's the sort of chance to really develop the shows that people really care about, you know, the next in-between as an IT crowd. And also, taking us rather nicely back to the McTaggart, Harriet Harman's had her say on the Murdoch Empire already before Liz Murdoch's actually got up to speak. Uh, well, I think that's Harriet trying to sort of uh, get a jump on, on, on Liz Murdoch's address and just sort of say, uh, look, we haven't forgot whatever Liz says. We haven't forgot what the underlying issues are. You know, News Corporation is too big. It, it became too powerful. It's too great a market share. Uh, and we need to do something about that. And again, she's reiterating the sort of labour war on Murdoch on, on News Corp. You know, it's interesting the UK needs to be broken up. It needs to own less newspapers, uh, possibly not have the snake in Sky as well, or whatever combination the company wants. And, and we should listen to Liz Murdoch respectfully, but we d- the age of deference to the, to the Murdochs is over, I think, is what she told The Guardian today. Well, thanks, Dan. And on that note, we bring our first festival podcast to an end. Uh, we're back tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, that's Friday lunchtime, with all the response from the McTaggart lecture, of course. But my thanks to Dan Sabber, to Vicky Frost, and to Maggie Brown. Plenty of video chats to come, but for now, thanks very much. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Don't you Brits feel like celebrating those 14 days of sporting glory? Of course you do. So why not do it with a strictly unofficial but suitably stylish philosophy football design t-shirt? This unique t-shirt is a wearable, chronological and color-coded record of an unforgettable fortnight. And for Guardian and Observer podcast fans, we have a special offer of £3 off and free post and packaging. Curious? Well, to see how good this unique t-shirt looks and to take advantage of our listeners' offer, just go to guardian.co.uk slash podcast offers. I dare you.